Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. It's certainly a time when you need more than one good horse in the yard. I'm happy to say that my first guest today has several. As I said, it is and certainly has the potential to be a career-defining season with plenty more group races to come. But he's enjoyed great success with the likes of Hookham, with Al-Bashir, who was such a promising second in yesterday's Champagne Stakes, the Jim Crack winner, uh, Minzal. He's a man who's built up a wealth of experience with some of the biggest stables in the country prior to taking out his own licence a few seasons ago with uh, spells with the legendary Martin Pipe with Josh Gifford, and then later, 12 years as assistant to Sir Michael Stout. He is, of course, Owen Burrows. Owen, good morning. Good morning, Nick. You really have worked with some of the titans of the game, haven't you? I've been very, very fortunate, yeah, very fortunate to uh, work with some geniuses. And you, you make the point that uh, you're very lucky to be training for Sheikh Hamdan now and training all these lovely horses, but this has, been a, this has been a tremendous season. Could you even have imagined back in May, June, when you were champing at the bit and wanting to get out there and run these horses that could have worked out quite as well as it has? Um, yeah, obviously, we're always striving to, to be competing at the top level. Um, and I thought sort of May time that they were a good bunch of two-year-olds, uh, you know, as nice as I've had since I've been training. Uh, obviously, you know, we, we had Huckham, who won promisingly last year at Kempton, and, you know, we were hoping he was going to go on and, and be a high-profile horse for us. So, yeah, no, we were thrilled. Let's get yesterday out of the way, first of all. When you were driving home last night... Was it disappointment, satisfaction, mixture of both? They both run well, but neither has won. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, we're you know disappointed. Um, you know, disappointed for myself, the whole team. You know, it's a, it was a big few days leading up to it, and a few sleepless nights. But you know, when you absorb it all in, you know, there's plenty of positives to be taken from it. Um, I think the two-year-olds, you know, just probably a little bit of inexperience got him beat. Taking nothing away from the winner, and this is Al Bashir who was second yes, in the Champagne yeah, Stakes. I yeah. mean, he's run a great race. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. He, he's done nothing wrong. Um, the experience won't be lost on him. So, you know, I'll speak with Sheikh Hamdan if he's happy. Then, we, you know, no reason not to think about Dewhurst um, and Huckham. Again, done nothing wrong. Possibly, Grant. Ground may have been a touch quick, Jim mentioned, but I don't think he probably quite got home. You know, I know he stayed a furlong sort of less at Newbury, but, you know, a lot less company. You've got to stay in, you know, and be a proper stayer in these sort of group one and certainly classic, you know, there's only a few of them each year and you have to be hardened and tough and everything has to be right for you. So you're feeling good about them, and they both trotted up well this morning. Yeah, yeah. My head girl Hannah's messaged me this morning and said they um, Elbashir has actually put on weight, which is typical Elbashir. He's another he 
great mind on him. Um, and yeah, I mean, how, unusual, are, how unusual is that? Um, it, it's not it like he just happen. went down the road, is it? He's yeah, travelled all the way to Donny. Again, he eats well. He's pretty. He's pretty laid back about life. And as long as they eat well and drink well, then it, you know it's it's uh, it's. Uh, it's a sign that you know they're taking it all in their stride as such if you've got one which possibly is worrying a little bit about it they'll lose more but touch wood this year we we've found that a few are putting you know weight up well not these i'm saying weight it's it's very minimal um but yeah it shows that they've not had a hard race and that they're thriving and their will be well-being is good you say he's such a laid-back individual does he reflect his trainer um, yeah, not too bad. I wasn't last week. Um, yeah, you, you, yeah, if you don't get excited about the big days, then, you know, it's not like I'm Mr. Stout or Mr. Gosden who have been doing it for umpteen years and have had umpteen chances in these big, big group ones classics. So, um, yeah, to not, not feel a little bit of pressure and get excited, I don't think would be normal. But it's quite a high-pressure job. You say you're lucky, you are lucky, you're getting sent a steady stream of beautifully bred horses, but um, are you someone who can wear the pressure well? Do you, do you find yeah, it straightforward? I'd, yeah, um, good job I've got no hair, probably. <laughs> I wouldn't have by now. But, uh, yeah, you, you know, you just you just have to absorb it up and, you know, not try to, you know, take it too to heart as such you know as I say I'm very lucky this year you know we've got some lovely horses and and we shall try and do our utmost to get the the best out of them. Take me back to to the beginning where where it all started in racing for for Owen Burrows as a conditional jockey over jumps. Yeah well my father uh, was head lad for David Nicholson right through sort of the 80s so I I was brought up in racing Um, and yeah, I was was fortunate to to have a few rides starting at Martin Pipes. Um, great times. Um, I was pretty average jockey. <laughs> but when, uh, when you when you went to Martin Pipes, he was in his absolute pomp, wasn't he? I mean, oh, he, he was, he'd yeah. already been champion trainer a hatful of times, and you know, winners were just expected every day. Yeah. What what was the vibe down there like when you were there? Oh, it was it was a great place to to work. Um, you know, from a young jockey's point of view, it was brilliant because there was loads of horses to ride. They're always well schooled, always 110% fit. So, at the end of the day, it was probably your errors if they were getting beat. You know, um, and yeah, it, it was good times. What was he like to ride for? You know, when when you were a, a young conditional jockey, and you, as you say, when you were going riding the horse, they were probably likely as not favourite most times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, we. we He'd always speak to you either before you left if he wasn't going racing. Um, and, you know, you weren't tied down to huge orders. You know, it was well documented. The majority of them used to, you know, as he, why make problems for yourself? They were fit. Go out in front and and no excuses then. You know, they tended to jump well. Um, so, you know, and then if you did balls up <laughs> uh you'd you'd be up the house and he would go through the videos with you and point you out where where you went wrong so very methodically he he doesn't strike me as someone who would get cross as such no there was never any raised voices as such but yeah you knew when you made a cock up <laughs> did you make many Oh, plenty yeah. <laughs> probably more than he let on did you think at that point because i remember you know, O Burrows claiming whatever it was at the time, seven five was a you know the sort of conditional jockey people were talking about a bit. You know, you had a bit of you had a bit of traction. Did you think, well, hello, I could be I could be on my way here? Uh, 
Yeah, I can remember riding a winner for Martin at um, Sandown. And, uh, yeah, I, I was sat in the waiting room afterwards and Richard Johnson was obviously, he was, yes, younger than me then, I think, just. Um, Still is. And, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he said, well, you know, he's be champion conditional next year, you know. And it struck me, a, you know, bit uh, by surprise and just circumstances uh, at the end of the day I wasn't blooming good enough simple as you know um, I'm not going to make any excuses for that but but is it is it not part of, partly the fact that you it had taken you by surprise that someone even might have thought of you as a champion champion conditional is, is that part of it as well the idea that you really actually have to believe that you can do it as well yeah as being? and certainly now training you know I look back I probably didn't want it enough you know because You'd be disappointed you you were beaten on something, but it only lasts half an hour, an hour. Whereas now, if one of mine's, but you know, I'll I'll you just ask my wife. I'm a right miserable, so and so, <laughs> you know. And I look back and think, yeah, you know, like AP back in the, you know, I say he was probably a nightmare to live with for for the time he was riding. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I probably didn't want it enough and didn't believe probably in myself enough. Um, and as I say now, you, you know, God, I, I hate it if we get beat. Mm. Absolutely hate it. So if you if you'd had the trainer's mindset that you have now when you were as a jockey, things might have worked out possibly, a, yeah, a little bit differently. Possibly, yeah, yeah. Are you still in touch with Martin? Um, a little bit. He, 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 you know, they're very good. When we had our Royal Ascot winner, received a letter through the post from him, from Carol and Dave. Um, he paid us a visit a couple of years ago, um, which was interesting. It was late morning and third lot. I thought he'd probably want to jump in the truck and watch third lot. No, just wanted me to take him around the yard. Uh, want to look at what bedding we were using, what hay we were using, what feed we were using. He, he you know, he was still, still thinking, and he, you know, quite rightly said, he said you know, we, we have to keep tabs on everybody else and, and see what everybody else is using, and and. Um, yeah, he's he, not not missing a trick. Unbelievable, a total one-off. I think, yeah, exactly, yeah. I think he, he was, yeah. He was well before his time, wasn't he, back in his heyday. And, you know, even now still is still sort of on the ball and looking in ways of trying to improve everything. You, you went from one much-loved character in, in Martin Pipe to another in, in Josh Gifford. I mean, you couldn't find two, two more different personalities. What, what was your time at, at Finden like? Uh, great, great times, great people. Um, you know, some some of my best friends still were made down there. Um, a completely different environment. Um, Josh was more old school in how he trained, um, but you know, great, great horseman, great trainer, and and you know, he he his methods were completely different to what Martin's were. In, in what way? Just he, he was sort of, you know, we'd, we'd go trekking off for miles, you know, and we'd be cantering up hills, grass hills, just anywhere there was a bit of rough ground. He had great, great facilities, mind you. know, we had great grass gallops, um, had a nice all weather there, but he had plenty of land, which we we just used the land. Um, and, you know, he wasn't quite into the, the modern side of it. We didn't scope too much and, you know, he just used his eye. And some and somehow it worked. Tell us about the atmosphere there, because you were there with a lot of people who who our audience would be very familiar with mm, now. Yeah. You were all sort of in your 
late teens, early twenties, yeah, I suppose 20s, at the time. Yeah. So obviously Philip Hyde was first jockey, Leighton Aspel. Um I I shared a house with Leighton for a few years, Roger Varian. Um so yeah, that there, there's there was, you know, some good good guys down there, good guys. And could you have predicted everyone's path then when you were when you were all friends and in your early twenties and making your way, would you would you have ever believed that um, you and Roger Varian would be locking yeah, heads in group uh, races? Did he always have that sort of? He's, he was way pretty laid him? back, Roger, as, as a young fella. Was he? Um, he was a good rider, very good rider, but um, yeah, he'd, he'd obviously spend a bit of time with Michael Jarvis in Newmarket before um, on summer holidays. So you know, it was something which was in his in his mind. Um, but it's you can mention a little story. It's typical Josh because you worked hard, but you played hard down there. It was it was the the social side of it, it was it was good good fun. Um, and I can remember we I think it was a Friday evening, and there was a a um, a local sort of fair in the village, and um, work morning next morning, and the younger lads used to have to go back at sort of. Eight thirty, nine o'clock. Just check the horses' waters, and uh, Roger said, "No, I'm going to do that tonight. You guys kick on. You know, I'm I'm going to do that." And uh, thought, bit of dedication, you know, do me well. And uh, we all cleared off down into the village. Had a great time. And um, Josh used to walk his dogs, sort of last thing, nine o'clock time. And uh, he he suddenly, you know, come across Roger. He's, what, what, are you, what are you doing, Roger? I'm doing the waters, Governor. You know, um, work morning tomorrow. A bit of dedication and get yourself down the village and go and enjoy yourself. <laughs> he said. You know? And like next day, Roger's like, Christ, said I got a rollicking for not going out last <laughs> night. He said, thought I was trying to do the right thing. Yeah, he's seen that but a few that times. was that was that was Josh. You know, he he liked you to work hard, but to enjoy yourselves as well. So they were happy days down at down at Finden. Most definitely, yeah. When did the point come where you thought, well, I've got to, I've got to move on here. I've got to try something a little bit different. Yeah, well, I I got down to my, you know, only claiming three, and you know, it was I picked up rides at claiming five because you know you've got that bit of experience and you're taking five off then, but then when you're down to three. You know, you're near enough competing with the likes of AP and, and Richard Johnson, and as I said, it wasn't wasn't good enough then. And I started to lose a few rides because of that. And there was obviously five pound claimers coming along, which you know were probably worth worth that five pound, and were better than me. And you know, I I always said to me that I didn't want to be scrubbing around blimmin', you know, few rides ride a week or something like that, and riding not dodgy ones, but just think I didn't find that there was no enjoyment just turning up at the races and jumping three or four in the pack and then tailing off and pulling up. You know, that, that, that wasn't, wasn't what I wanted to do. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai. Well, I'd like to say that my old friend Neil Channing joins us for the first time this season. Hello. Hi. Yeah, I've just been. I, I, I was just saying to you, I've just been wading through the uh, the pullout in today's Racing Post. The uh, wading, luck, the luck yeah. pullout. Wait, wading, <laughs> wading. That's very, very unfair on Lee Montessori. He makes no. me sound much nicer than I. It really was am. very not. I enjoyed it actually. I'm worrying now whether you're going to be Parkinson or Mar this morning, but uh, you know. 
you could get free Parker Ben. <laughs> uh, sunlight over fifties black. Um, yes. Well, now you're here. Obviously, I'm yeah. going to try and be a bit more Mar, but the likelihood <laughs> is that you'll just charm me into into being Parky. Uh, let's talk about yesterday. Gayath failed to mm. build on his brilliance this season. For all he ran well in defeat it's kind and of magical. Weird. Did did magical keep him honest? Do you think? Well, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because like. Pretty much since that first race, uh, was it at Newmarket? Well, that seems a long time ago to, to start the season, even though it was less than usual. Um, people, every time Gareth runs, people are like, oh, God, well, yes, if you take it on early, that's how you beat it. Mm. And they failed to do that. And uh, yesterday, they kind of did it and it worked. So that's kind of a bit weird, isn't it? You know, Oscar Wilde, the definition of insanity. But they, they, I sort of... It felt like everyone knew that was going to happen. It drifted a bit, didn't it? When it was kind of eight to eleven uh, prior, having been sort of looking like it would be more like eight to fifteen, I kind of feel like there was a feeling that we're going to get it this time by laying it, laying up with it early. But other horses haven't really been able to do that this year, so I don't know. I mean, she was great, obviously, but in the York race. Um, she looked like she was going to just kind of drop out having challenged early. And then, and then, and then she came again mm. and showed stamina late on. So um, I don't know whether that made them more confident to have a go. Uh, maybe home advantage. I don't know, the travelling. Well, well, should we hear from the man who executed He's the plan? He's going to know more than me, isn't he? he? Might, I don't know why you asked me. Well, because I wanted your take on it first <laughs> from an outsider's point of view. And then I wanted to get the insider's take on how it was executed because Shamey's on the line now. Hi, Shamey. Morning. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I presume uh, delighted after after yesterday. Just talk me through your mindset before the race and how how you approached the whole setup. Yeah, well, uh, I, I write her plenty of work, and um, I know the filly. Uh, I know the way she can yeah, and her ability. And I, I knew what I had to do to try and um, beat the horse, and she beat him comfortably to finish. What and what was that? What did you have to do in terms of the pace that you went, in terms of the way that you attended Gayath? What 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 did you do? We're watching it now, the early stages. Yeah, he 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 he's uh, he's from Cardiff. He's early pace and he's strong rhythm. But then um, there's no point in taking him on with something that wasn't good enough to to go with him and and and, and now battle him. She she just had the ability and she was the right um she was the right um mare to do it. So that's the point. It's the fact that. Yes, you want to find his vulnerability, but there's there's no point just throwing horses at him that he's going to just dismiss out of the way. You have to have enough speed and class to be able to, to stick with him. Exactly, yeah. Um, I mean, he's a fair horse. He, he wasn't raised at the world's best horse because he um, can't, can't run and can't keep going. But she's she's um, she's been following a neighbour around. The neighbour's probably the best mare I've ever seen, but... Uh, Magical is that bit stronger and fitter, and you know we're lucky to have her. And, and she is five now, so most horses probably don't get to get to their full strength to show what they have. So they're just down tools, um, before they're fully mature. You know that that's that's just the way we're in it. And uh, it's, it's interesting this because Neil was saying everyone sort of knew where Gaya's Achilles' heel might be. For all that he's run extremely well yesterday, it is a tiny Achilles' heel. Um, so he's not completely bullying you and, and dominating you. Yet nobody had chosen to try and exploit that thus far, thus far this season. Um, why do you think that is? Is it because it's essentially 
counterintuitive to do what you did yesterday from a normal jockey's way of doing things. Yeah, sometimes if you're riding a very good horse in a race and you think it's not there, by sacrificing your pace or your, or your strength early on, where, where you should have finished second or third, by doing that you only finish fifth or sixth. So if you ride a horse to run well, sometimes they run well, but if you sacrifice them and go head head out crazy, you mightn't get home. But Magical was ready. She was ready. She was ready to take him on and run as hard as he could, which is pretty fast. And um, you know she she outgunned him and eyeballed him and they had a right scrap up the straight. So I I was very confident. So um, it was a it, it was, was it, very confident. You went in very confident. So it was a victory for for heart and courage and absolute preparation. Did you feel that she'd actually move forward from that fitness, that hardness, that edge from the race at York? I did, but listen, that's only my opinion, and everybody has an opinion, and some people's opinions are right, and some people's opinions are completely wrong. But I, I, I felt that this time of year she's coming, she, she was coming that little bit stronger and better. So, listen, it, it, she was spot on. It was brilliant. And actually, it echoes really what Ryan said after York, which was that, yeah, he was quite pleased with her, but he sort of said, well, I, you know, I thought I'd give him a bit more of a fright, to be honest with you. It's sort of the evidence kind of stacks up now with the glorious benefit of hindsight. Yeah, well, listen, I, I had a chat before to Ryan before the race, and, and we, we had all discussed. So if he was riding her, he'd, he'd have done the exact same thing. So mm. he, he he was a help to me anyway. He didn't discourage me in, uh, in, in the plan that we, we were setting and making up. Uh, it might, I, I've always been intrigued as to what your mindset is when you find out which one of two horses with a roughly equivalent chance you're riding in a in a big race, whether it's whether it's Ryan's choice or whether it's Aidan saying I think you should ride one, Ryan should ride the other, whatever however it pans out. When when you found out you were riding magical and, and not presumably Japan, who you might have ridden in other circumstances, what what did you feel inside about their relative chances to one another? Um I felt happy but sometimes the best thing you can do is keep your mouth closed and see what way it pans out <laughs> on the day, you know. Yeah, that, you were in it. You're in a fortunate position in that respect because you don't really have to do anything but keep your your mouth closed. But I guess I guess the decision for him was was potential over over proven ability, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah. What do you? I mean, he gave a, a, a lovely interview yesterday after the race about Japan, but he slightly scratching his head. The horse travelled really well. On what you've seen at home, do you think? Has Japan still got it in him? Has he still got it in him to go and win a nice race? Listen, it, it, this is a funny game. Japan could follow them two horses around the next day and come and get them. Um, you, you just don't know what way horses are feeling. Race day, when they travel to the races and load in the stalls, sometimes they don't pitch up what you see in the morning. Sometimes they, they go way above what you see in the morning. That's what makes horse racing exciting and thrills and even the best judges in the world get it wrong plenty so you know that's that, that, that's what makes racing the way it is if you're right 51% of the time you're doing well I couldn't agree with you more um, you, I, it's, it's occurred to me because you were talking about Gayath you were talking about Enable and you followed around a ton of times uh, you know all about love as we build into this fantastic autumn of the of the season you, you must have given some thought to, to Paris and how and how love and enables match up is going to go from a from a tactical point of view and from an ability point of view. How how do you look at it as a sort of partial but at the same time um, considered observer? Um, when the likes of enable or Franklin come along, I mean you, you have to tip your hat and these are monsters of horses. How, how they can do what they 
to do is unbelievable. I suppose Aidan can get get inside those horses' heads and get get them thinking that you can do it. And I, listen, they're the ones you have to beat, but we're always trying to beat them. If we don't have the best ones, we're trying to beat them. So that that's that that's the way I look at. It. And in in love, do you think he's got the absolute the absolute tool to do that now? The the absolute right horse to 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 be a a, a proper champion and, and to take down the best older horse we've seen this generation. She's she, she's a very impressive Guineas winner and an even more impressive Oaks winner. You know she can only beat and destroy what you put in front of her. But three-year-olds have a good record in the race. Um, she's been trained for it, so with a bit of luck, <clears throat> she'd run well and she could she could very possibly win. Having said all of that, of course, she she then needs to to have a little bit of what your mare had yesterday, which is just that absolute that absolute will and that absolute ability to to run through a brick wall for you. Yeah, um, a lot of a lot of Galileos just they don't get drunk punched; they they just keep throwing punches. Well, it was a, an absorbing race, Jamie, and I, I'm really interested to listen to how you did it and and why you did it and why you executed those tactics. Um, thanks for chatting to us again. Appreciate your time. No problem. Pleasure. Thank you. Jamie Heffernan. And it's, it's the confidence, isn't it, to go out there and do something that the normal way of doing things would tell you not to do. I, I was finding it... I guess he's, he's not going to come on the day after his one and say, ha-ha, Ryan picked the wrong one. But he must have been thinking when he gets told, you know, this is Ryan's gone for Japan. That's, that's got to be a win for him. It's a nil-sum game, isn't it? So, well, it is. So if, with her, if, you, with if her, Ryan's you... picked Japan. Yeah. It, it, I don't. I don't. I mean, I. You know, I'm not going to have a go at Ryan Moore. He, he, he he's been around the block a fair bit, and he's a smart guy. But uh, yeah, that seemed like a funny pick, really. But I liked. I liked the fact. But it was. I got. It, I got the pick completely. It was picking mm. what he might do. Yeah, yeah, over yeah. What you know yeah, that course. she can yeah, do. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. I, I thought his interview was good. Actually, um, uh, he did. He did an interview with Fran Berry yeah, yesterday. Yeah, and that's what I was referring I, to. I don't know whether um, you know people have a bit of a go at him for being a bit prickly in interviews and whatever. Um, I don't know whether it's because the kind of mutual respect stuff. It must be. I mean, you know, it felt to me like he gave a better interview because it's a peer. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he should only be interviewed by top ex-jockeys. Well, there is possibly something in that. I mean, some some will respond better to Mm. people that they have that that kind of rapport with. uh, Let's have a look at uh, at the closing stages again, because I wanted to get your take on on Gayath. People who like to look at things in a binary way mm. will say, well, there you go, the horse has got a hole in him, you take him on and he, he folds. Yeah, she's, he did, a, she's now the best horse in the world, obviously. He, he, did, yeah, he didn't <laughs> fold, though, did he? That's the no, point. No, he ran he really kept, well. He kept I, mean, I mean, you know, in pounds and lengths, you know, it's a pretty good performance, isn't it, really? I mean, it's just that he's appeared so bomb-proof the whole year. Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought that was quite interesting as well, that he said, you know, like we had the uh, the 100 to 1 listed winner try and take him on early um, last time. And, and obviously that's just a waste of time because, that, you know, the jockey knows the, the, this is not a real threat, whereas yesterday it's a real threat taking him on. Um, no, I mean, he's, he's lost nothing in defeat if that's a, 
I just said Part that. the race. I said, I said you that just did that to wind me up, didn't no, you? No, I did that. I did do that, yeah. He lost the race and the prize money and, uh, and all that kind and a, of thing. a little bit of his reputation and yeah, et cetera. Yeah, but yeah, it, yeah. It's, um, he's still a fabulous racer. Yeah, he's still exciting. Well, yeah. I think in the right circumstances, on the right sort of track, he's yeah. still going to produce performances yeah. like he did at York. But yeah, but you can, uh, you know, again, you can, I suppose you can look back and say that race at Newmarket that he dominated earlier in the year. Mm. You know, he's beaten Stradivarius, who's running over his wrong trip. Uh, you know, he's got out in front with the wind behind him. You know, you can and you can always look back and criticise performances with hindsight, but uh, he's still a great horse. He's a, he's a fabulous horse, and he was beaten by a, a swashbuckling ride and a ride of great intent yesterday with, uh, with Magical, and she's a terrific mare. I think she was running in her... 18th Group 1 race and has now won, won <laughs> seven of them. She's just uh, just remarkable. It was a great day for, for Johnny Murter as well. Group 1 success in the matron stakes with Chambers Alizo, who's been one of the great improvers this season. As for the trainer, well, he's been at the top of his game for many years. I, if I say many decades, I might make him feel <laughs> a bit more senior than he'd like, but he's on the line now. Johnny Murter, good morning. Nick, good morning. How are you? <laughs> now, there's a man. There's a man who sounds like he's just trained a Group 1 winner. Oh, yeah, it's great to be concerned this morning when you get up and you go around the yard and, you know, um, just realise, you know, how, what, what has happened. And it, it was it was one of the, the great days, great days, so satisfying for everybody involved in, in, in Team Johnny Murta. And part of Team Johnny Murta, of course, everyone will have seen this now if they are on social media. But for the many viewers of this programme who are not on social media, they might not have seen the, the, the footage of you and all are celebrating the victory. This was a really, really special moment. There's something all the more poignant about the fact that it's just the two of you in this vast, great, empty grandstand watching it. Yeah, well, it's a totally different experience going in there yesterday. You know, you walk in, and it's like a normal day's race. No people there, no marquees up. Um, and Wayne Lorden says to me, uh, Johnny, I knew you won the race. I could hear you shout. And funnily enough, he was riding in the mace. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I must have been fairly loud because he was laughing. He said, "I could hear you shout that I was in the race." So, <laughs> so he couldn't. There, he, was, there he, was a fa- there was a fair echo coming from the stand. <laughs> he he couldn't hear he couldn't hear the very quiet Jerry Hannon, but he could he could hear he could hear you <laughs> screaming screaming the mayor. Yeah. Um, this this Philly's a bit special. I mean, the, the Leopardstown can produce these brilliant down the outside, withering turn of foot performances that really stir the blood. And it, it was right right out of that out of that draw, wasn't it? It was, it was. It, the whole story about was unbelievable. Born over twenty eight thousand, done no okay as a two year old, got beaten in one of the handicaps at the end of the year. <laughs> uh, tried to sell her, couldn't sell her at the sales. Comes back as a three year old, wins a handicap, have her sold, um, pull out with the deal. Running in a listed race, she wins by seven lengths, have her sold again for a lot more money, passes all the x-rays, passes all the scans. She's not a good trotter, so she she failed the vet. You know, they, they couldn't pass her on her trot. And wins a group three, and then rocks up for Fitzwilliam Racing, who is syndicate. You know, um, so it just, show, it just shows you, you know, that there there is a chance. There is a chance to be there on the big day and calling in to see a few of them um, uh, one of the guys the big house up just outside Dublin put up a marquee there was seven or eight of the syndicate there with their family and I called in with the trophy last night 
And Nick, people are saying, Johnny, it's one of the best days of my life. If, if, if you could bottle it, and people are saying, how do you get people into racing? If you could have bottled the feeling and the way that people were speaking last night of what it meant to them, you know, the whole journey, and then, like, to jump out of stalls, oh, it's not looking so good, we're a bit far back. At halfway then, oh, yeah, she's going to run well. And as you said, then down the outside at Leopardstown, and knowing she was going to get up the last 50 yards, you know, the scenes, I, I, I asked the, the, um, the chairman, what was it like? He said, Johnny, it was, it was unbelievable stuff. It was like, <laughs> that's why we come into racing. That's why. And they, it doesn't happen overnight. You can come in, you can spend millions. Oh, yeah, I want to be, be part of it. Sometimes it doesn't happen like that. It's, you have to stay in the game. Racing is a marathon. It's not a sprint. But days like that, and her winning in the style she won, that, that, that's, that's how we sell racing or how we promote racing. And for a syndicate, we're saying, it's in its fourth year now, oh, Johnny, maybe, you know, it's, we're not going so well. And all those owners last night, oh, we want to have another horse, Johnny, we want to have another horse with you next year. So, <laughs> hey, <laughs> you, can't, you, you can't sell that. That's, it has to happen on that, Nick. Oh, it, it's just—it's just a wonderful, wonderful story, and I'm so pleased—I'm so pleased she failed the vet for a start, and I'm—I'm—I'm so, I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased you've—you've you've still got her. But I want—you uh, know—I think everybody now wants because we're greedy in this game. You know we are. Everyone wants the next few chapters to be written. So, um, what does your pen tell you that they might look like? I, did, I, I spoke to the, to the syndicate last night, and they were all kind of very excited. So they had loads of they had loads of um, requests where we should go next. You know, like Breeders' Cup, and um, she looks very good this morning, Nick. I'm not sure where she's going to go. I didn't enter her in the Sun Chariot, but we could always supplement her. It's Phillies only a mile in Newmarket. Um, it's a win in your in race for the Breeders' Cup, but I think it's for the Phillies and Mares, so mm. I'm not sure she'd stay a mile and a quarter. I think a mile around America sh- should really suit her. Um, but we just have to sit down and discuss it. Yesterday was the plan. Yesterday was the plan, and it came off. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, that the, the 16 or 17 people and their partners who were involved at last yesterday, you know, they got the, the thrill of the lifetime. And it's evident to all of us and anyone who's who's watching this morning how just elated you are. Does this does this surpass anything you you achieved when you were when you were riding? Just in terms of the feeling it, it's giving you now. It, it 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 probably does. You know, when you're riding those group ones, now don't get me wrong, they're very special, they're very hard to win. But you just rock up on the day and you know the, take over the power when it really matters. As a trainer, you're with them every day. I, I bought her myself. We broke her here. Um, we've had her as a two-year-old. You, you've planned out her campaign. You've put the targets in front of her. She's reached all those targets. Jeez, maybe we can stretch it again. So as a trainer, it's, it's so much more um, satisfying. Um, it's just a wonderful feeling because you know that so many people around you are affected as well. Like the lads are in this morning, they're all buzzing, they're going for a bit of dinner tonight. Um, you know, the owners last night, 
Um, and the amount of messages and goodwill that has come through. I can't describe how I'm feeling, but maybe you can hear it in my voice. It's, I'm like, I'm like uh, inside, inside, I'm kind of, I'm bubbling inside, Nick. It's, it's, it's just, it's just, it's everything I always wanted as a trainer. Uh, it's, it's you know, just, I, I, I did it as a jockey, but as a trainer, I wanted, I want, I want the lot, Nick. I want the lot. And yesterday, it felt like I achieved so much. And now you've had it. You're going to want some more. And it just occurred to me when you were talking about uh, the Breeders' Cup that it's 25 years since Belmont Park and Ridgewood Pearl winning the, oh, winning the Breeders' <laughs> Cup mile. I know. It doesn't seem it. Um, and, of course, the, the ground went soft that day. And, you know, it could, it could all come around again in a, in a beautiful symmetry. Yeah, well, sometimes in my life, things like that happen to me, you know, um, you, you know, it, it just seemed to happen for a reason. I don't know if they're putting my path, but that is, you know, that is an amazing stat. 25 years ago, I won the Breeders' Cup mile to go back again and win as a trainer. Well, hey, even I can't dream of that, Nick. Come on, even <laughs> I can't. Dream. And I'm, I'm a big dreamer. Uh, listen, I, I would like to I would like to talk for for so much longer, but. Uh, Johnny, from all of us, congratulations and, and keep the dream alive with this filly for the rest of the season. Nick, I really appreciate it. Thanks very much for the call. Top man. <laughs> oh, wonderful stuff. Amazing. That, we just need to play that on a loop <laughs> for the rest of the day. We're yeah. done. We can't do better than that for the rest yeah. of the morning. Yeah. Didn't you, I definitely get the feeling, though, he doesn't. He, he, there aren't many days where he doesn't kind of leap out of bed, though, surely. He, he's, well, now he's always that. buzzy. I mean, I, like, but yeah, that was especially. I hope he got checks off of all those people that promised to have a horse with him next year. He's I would, I would say that money. From the sounds, of, from the sounds of it, I think they they sound like they're good for him. <laughs> no, uh, that was really good, and I, I, definitely, of course, if I'm sure, if you're training, the emotional investment is just like way higher than if you're riding. You would think, and that, so you, it must be more important. And uh, you know, the nurturing. Uh, you know, he uh, said he broke the horse and all this kind of stuff. You know, well, she. She was ridden by Colin Keane, who, if he wasn't a sensation already, is, is one mm. now. And it was a very significant day for him because he was riding you know, Group 1 and Group 2 uh, races for, for different trainers and was just doing them in different ways. Mm. He's just so good. Champs-Elysees, first of all, if she does run in the Breeders' Cup mile, the Fangio Breeders' Cup mile, she might very well be taken on by uh, Safe Voyage, who got the better of Cinewan in an absolutely mm. pulsating battle for the Boomerang Mile. Let's, uh, let's just take a look at the closing stages now as we do. And it's worth pointing out here, Neil, that not only is this horse hard as nails, he was winning his first race over a mile. Over a mile, And, and yeah. it was a really strongly run mile yeah, too. Absolutely, so yeah. no doubts about that now. Yeah, which was a bit weird, really. I thought, uh, I actually, I, I love the horse. Uh, I have to say I laid it for a place because I just thought, <laughs> well, I just thought, you know, like if it gets beat, it's going to get beat because of the trip. And, uh, you know, here it looks... It looks beat, doesn't it? It's been headed and and uh, and and really like before Still the line. Still thought he was second at the yeah, line. Yeah, before be honest. the line and past the line, it's beat, isn't it? It just got his head down at the right moment. But yeah, fantastic, really good. And uh, I was kind of thinking in the morning, oh dear, I'm not sure about this. You know, seven furlongs is much better. And uh, you know, there aren't that many like decent seven furlong races, are there? And I, it's a shame, kind of, if you've got a seven furlong specialist. Uh, but now this opens up. Uh, a lot more options 
Um, yeah, no, really good. And uh, what a great horse, really uh, amazing horse. And if you've got a horse competing at Group 2 level, this horse has been very cleverly placed mm, by, mm. by John Quinn because... I love the tongue lolling out. Yeah. I always like it when horses... It's not a good thing, really, but it always makes me laugh. I had a little look last night with a view to the Breeders' Cup Mile. Mm. This horse going... Because so many horses that go over for that race, all they ever do is race up these boring straight miles in yeah, Europe. Yeah, I, yeah, I hate, yeah. can't stand straight mile racing as a mm, spectacle. Mm. I think it's terrible for the crowd. Yeah, uh, yeah, it doesn't yeah. look great on the telly. No, you're right. Yeah. Racing around a bend is, is generally much more exciting, unless it's Frankel. <laughs> and I was looking at his record. Since he unseated his rider when the saddle slipped at air in his three-year-old career mm-hmm. when he was a good thing off 72 or something, he's run nine times in races round a left-handed bend mm-hmm. of some sort yep. and he's won eight of them and finished second in the other one and the one he finished second to was Space Blues at Haydock yeah, yeah, eight yeah. out of nine round a, round a left-handed bend it's quite compelling isn't it yeah 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 definitely I mean it's not a horse you could ever really write off I mean just always bang there puts it in yeah great really good we ought to talk about another horse who might be bound for America as well Cadillac for uh, Jesse Harrington and, and Shane Foley. That was probably impressive. Very there, impressive yeah. indeed. I mean, of the two-year-old races, uh, the Richard Hannon horse was very impressive, and I think that's quite chin, good chin form. Chinned Al Bashir, yeah. Yeah, but I think Cadillac was more impressive, and that pro- might be stronger form, actually, as well. I think we're going to have a look at that. It was 3.40 yesterday, the KPMG Champion Juvenile Race. Um, Kate Harrington, our own Kate Harrington, was speaking with us afterwards, and she said the horse is just incredibly laid back. He's a colt by Lope de Vega, so you'd have thought, given that and the downside of his pedigree, that a little bit of cut in the ground would be of, would of be the grand, of but... the two. I, if I had to have a bet, which I'm not going to on the two thousand guineas, I think I'd rather have this one. Would you? Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously it's a long way away. We don't even know the race will happen. <laughs> Whether there'll be any crowds there or not. But again, it's, it's attitude and a, it's a tremendously sort of likable way of going, very professional way. Yeah. He just he yeah, chased, no, down, really, really. chased down a hard, hard horse in, in Van Gogh. In yeah, the yeah. Stages. No, I thought it was really good. Almost a bit breathtaking, actually. You, know, you don't see that that often. 12, 12, 12 to 1, one. from yeah, 33s for, yeah. for the guineas. So did you take... You took no, a little I bit haven't. Straight no, after? I, I, no I, I, just, I can't remember the last time I had an anti-post bet in the guineas, but... Uh, uh, I don't know. If you forced me, I think uh, if I had to have a bit in the Guineas right now, th- th- that would be it. Yeah. And the the the, 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 the extraordinary rise of Jessica Harrington with these two-year-olds. Well, she's amazing. Continues. Yeah, she's great. I, I, yeah, I mean, obviously, people sort of say, oh, just, you know, she's really good with the fillies and mares and stuff, but uh, the fillies really. But uh, no, I mean, that, yeah, she's brilliant. She's a really good trainer. Yeah, yeah and, and many years years ago, but. A, handful of years ago when she just started to get mm. more flat horses she was already churning out you know, group wins with path forks and the dragon pulses and horses like this well, it's, so. fu- it's funny isn't it because we've talked about that before like you know we you know alan king and and uh the, the talk about um uh oh god that's terrible uh what's his name uh, give me a clue in the west Any country clue. jump trainer martin uh, pipe no uh, paul nichols <laughs> West Country Jumps trainer. Um, Starting doing more, flat more. Colin training. Tizard. Colin, Colin Tizard. Tizard. Is he? Yeah. Yes. So he's starting to do more flat training, and it's becoming a more of a thing, isn't it? Jumps trainers moving into flat racing yeah. for obvious reasons, you know, more money. Uh, but uh, more money, fewer injuries, less heartache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. And, uh, but it, I, I guess if you're just a good trainer, you're a good trainer. You know, I mean, it can't be that different, surely. Exactly. Um, let's talk about the St. Ledger yesterday. Talking of good trainers. 
just before we get Sorry. to the, the race. Memory is so bad. Like it's right. Joseph O'Brien, son of Aidan. <laughs> I remember him. Yeah, Galileo. I actually, but I did actually. This, I did have a winning bet here, so I, I do remember that. Yeah, great ride as well. I love Tom Marquand. I'm a huge fan, actually. It's a, a real it's a good job. fanboy. I've not met him, but is he going to be? Do you want to be on the phone now? Is he? The funny thing is that you think it was some kind of contrivance. I didn't that know Neil that. had been pouring, <laughs> Sorry, that just, that been pouring over the running order. But as mm. you can tell, the likelihood of him ever having seen a running order for I this program is so, is so scant. Would you like to meet Tom Markland? I kind of would, but I, actually I'm not very good at meeting people that I'm kind of slightly in awe of. So, no, not really. Well, you just you sit. Listen the, to him on the phone is fine. You sit in the corner and blush, and I'll say. Very, I'll, <laughs> He's brilliant, Tom. I'll, you're brilliant. I'll say. I'll say a very good morning to Tom Markland, who joins us on the line now. Morning and congratulations, Tom. Morning, thank you, Nick. <laughs> Sounds like you've got one confirmed fan anyway. That was an exciting race to watch yesterday. Um, how did it feel to be a part of, first of all, in the dramatic circumstances with English King coming out and then Shane Cross not being able to ride and you getting on those, and then what happened in the finish? Yeah, I mean, it was all pretty surreal, to be honest. Um, like, obviously, obviously, getting the news that English King was going to get France instead... I was sort of left sat there thinking, oh, oh that's, that's another another year gone, all the classics done, and um, you know, it, it's um, yeah, it was a bit of a whirlwind couple of days, and you know, like I said, after uh, under under terrible circumstances for Shane Cross, and you know, I can't help but uh, sort of feel his heartbreak on that one because I can only I can only imagine what it's like. Um, but you know, I, I guess I was on the fortunate end of uh, a, a bit of luck falling my way, and um, yeah, I mean, what a what a way to sort of get a first classic. And, and you've you've had high-profile victories, and you had your wonderful success in in Australia last winter, which you know thrust you to to a global prominence as well as just a domestic prominence. But how much more special is a is a British classic, given that this is where you're based? Yeah, I mean. I, I guess I guess it's it's so much more sort of uh, special special to me and and to to everyone that's grown up with English racing. You know, we there's there's five classics a year, and we all know how hard they are to win. And um, you know, the the greats the greats are the ones that win the races. Do you know what I mean? So you know, I I, I think it's what was it 2012 seeing Joseph riding Camelot and things like that. I know he didn't win, he was going for the Triple Crown. Uh, but, you know, to turn around now, um, eight years later, and end up riding Joseph, uh, a St. Ledger winner, I mean, honestly, I could, could never have even envisaged or dreamed that something like that might happen. What did you know about the horse beforehand, and, and what did you sort of expect from him, given what you'd been told? Uh, I mean... Genuinely, I sort of went went back on uh, on Friday night after finding out that I was riding him, and 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 just and, and watched the the sort of few runs that he had had, and and I thought, you know, I I, I didn't speak to Joseph until Saturday morning, and you know, I, I picked up the phone just thinking, there's, I mean, there's, there's probably not loads to to say about the horse. I mean, he looked like a gorgeous, smooth traveller, and um, he looked relatively straightforward and. You know, he proved exactly that in the race. Like he, he he jumped and sort of made my life incredibly easy to get a position. Switched off straight away, and um, I mean, he he has 
such a winning attitude as well to go to go with that relaxed side, which I mean is an incredible attribute. Not many have it. And it does seem to be a bit of a characteristic of, of the Australians as well, that they just, they're very, very chilled out and they just keep rolling when you, when, when you keep asking. You, you obviously had to, had to get quite serious with him. Were you surprised by how much he found for you? Yeah, uh, sensibly so. I mean, he always, he, always, he always felt like he had plenty there to go for. And um, to be honest with you, I was surprised it was Barcha Rocco outside for the last so long. I thought, uh, I thought we might shake him off, but... Um, that, look, he's he's an extremely tough horse, uh, uh, Rocco, and, and he's got some really solid form in there. And you know, I guess he he had every right to run that sort of race. And um, yeah, I, I I was just I was always sort of conscious going into that last three quarters of a furlong of, of of how much horse I had left underneath me and how he was always doing enough, which uh, isn't often the case. Uh, we you made the point rather wryly just about Berkshire Rocco because the last time you were upsized Berkshire Rocco you were well kicking him out of the way in the in the Lingfield Derby trial on English King did it did it sort of make you wonder uh, wonder what how English King might have run <laughs> in the in the ledger yeah I mean I, I, you can't help but uh, but speculate um, I guess but you know being that it was a step up and trip I don't know I mean would English King have stayed who knows who's to say um, but yeah, I mean, it certainly it certainly sort of begs the question as to as to what might have been. Um, but thankfully, I don't need to worry what might have been, and and you need to think about what did happen. So I'm uh, I'm the lucky one in, in this situation, I think. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Al Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Welcome back. You're watching Luck Outside. I've just managed to get rid of Neil Channing from the studio. You probably heard the door shutting there to, to welcome my final guest today, who is a, a renowned QC. He's an OBE. He was the chairman of the Association of British Bookmakers. He's now the chairman of the Horse Race Betting Levy Board. He is Paul Darling with an important in-tray. Paul, a very good morning to you. Thanks good for coming in. No, delighted. N nice trip back to Wheeling on a Sunday morning. A lovely sunny day. Not too far for you, I hope. And I noticed that you came in. You, you had a number of yellow post-it notes about yeah. your about your person. Now, this is the barrister. Is this the, still the barrister's way? It's still the, oh, well, with, with technology and remote hearings that we're now doing, your yellow stickers become, a become virtual rather than real. But certainly I've spent my life jotting things I want to remember down on a yellow sticker. And the, the real danger is losing the yellow sticker. Um, you've got to make sure you've got sticky ones so they stick to a bit of paper so that when you <laughs> open them up, the yellow sticker you need is there. That's the key thing. So when you're, when you're in court, you're operating in this sort of environment of organised chaos, essentially. Uh, I, I, I'd like to put, I'm sure my clients would like to think it was better than that, but there's a fair amount of instinct going on as to when you're cross-examining. One of the great cross-examiners I, I knew, who, and that's the real skill in our job, used to just have a list of ten points on a bit of paper and cross-examine for two days on the basis of that. I have to say, I can't quite manage that, but nevertheless, you know, you, you've got to have it in your head and be able to organise it with the benefit of things like yellow stickers. Spe speed of thought and fleet of foot, probably the two most important attributes of being uh, a barrister, aren't they? Yeah, and, and, listening, and listening to the witness. If you're cross-examining a witness, the key thing is to listen to the answer so you can then ask the next question based on the answer that you've been given rather than just asking the next question you had in your head. Um, some of my cross-examinations, when, when, when you prepared them question by question, as one sometimes has to, you've got to be really careful that when you get the answer, you then adapt to be able to, to ask the next question based, based on what the witness says.
So with that in mind, how useful are skills like that in a role such as the chairman of the levy board, even though it's a role you've only had a, a fairly short time? I've only, I've only had it since April, and it's all been COVID. Uh, I think that the two things that are critical for the job that I do are first to focus on the issues. Um, the, 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 they are all complicated and they all need to be analysed and looked at. And secondly, to recognise the importance of the independence of our role, mm -hmm. uh, sitting as we do in this very complicated racing structure. Uh, and I think those um, analysis and independence are the two things I would go for. And of course, this is a, a crucial point, because until it got thrown out, the idea got thrown out by a, a committee of MPs and peers in 2019, the levy board was going to be no more. Part yeah. of that tranche of levy reforms from the 2014 recommendation was that yeah. the levy board would go yeah. and would be replaced by a racing authority, yeah. which wouldn't have had the independence. How, in light of what we've had over the last six months, important was that? Well, there's two points to make about that. One is that levy would have been collected by the Gambling Commission. Mm -hmm. And as I suspect we may get on to a bit later, uh, payments on account, for example, are a critical part of the way in which we've been able to help racing. And uh, I think the fact that the levy board remains, a specialist organisation remains, to administer that is absolutely critical. And I think that the Gambling Commission, for all its many other brilliant qualities, would have struggled with that aspect of it. Secondly, the, there's a very interesting tension between um, being a public body and the private body that the, the racing authority would have involved. Uh, I, I myself think, I hope that the current levy board with the three government members, um, the bookmakers representative and the three representatives of racing, I personally think that gets a pretty good balance. I don't know how the racing authority would have worked out. Um, for me, one of the great sadnesses is that racing lost Hugh Robertson, who was one of the, who I think would have been a, a massive contributor as chairman of the racing authority. I don't think we can see, guess how it would have worked out. Um, but I'm very pleased with the team I've got. Uh, Richard Risby, who has um, uh, been on the board for a while, um, and Anne Lambert are both astonishingly uh, marvellous contributors. I shouldn't be saying astonishingly because it's not at all surprising, but they are brilliant. Mike O'Kane, who represents the bookmakers, is, 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 is also excellent. And the three racing representatives do, do their, their job respecting the, sort of this balance for them between, on the one hand, being appointed by racing bodies, but also members of the board. So I think it works quite well. But there is a feeling, there's clearly a feeling out there in Newmarket, and we'll come to that in a moment, and elsewhere, that levy reform is not complete, that there is more to be done. Before we get into the specifics, what's your take on that as a broad point? Well, f first point to make is that's a matter for government. Um, and government will make its... will, I'm sure, consider any representations. Secondly, I would say that it's very important that any discussions... Um, use as their basis all the work done between 2014 and 2017, yeah. updated to reflect the current situation. Um, I understand why racing wants to do what it can to maximise the levy. I understand why bookmakers uh, want, want that to happen in a way uh, that reflects their businesses. There's a creative tension between them. Uh, my hope is that they will continue to have the collaborative discussions they've had over the last period. Um, but it's an inevitable part of the process when, to be frank, as, the, your, as uh, in your last segment, um, there isn't enough money to go around. Mm. And that's the problem. So... So many groups wanting more money into the sport, horsemen, racecourses, chiefly everyone being affected by COVID. Big debate about whether everyone's felt a, an equal share of the pain. Let's talk about this 
I know you don't want to, to go into too much detail, but let, let's talk about the implications of the, of the meeting that was reported in The, in the Guardian last week that, that took place in, in Newmarket between the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, and a number of um, major stakeholders in the industry, yeah. John Gosden and, and Rachel Hood, William Haggis and others present, and then that expanding to include Martin Crudders from, from ARC and, uh, as was written in the, in the Guardian, one or two senior representatives from BHA, though they didn't exactly say who they were. What's your, what's your feeling on that? Well, uh, it's a perfectly legitimate process for racing to want to consider how the levy works. Um, the, the new levy brought in in 2017 uh, involved various significant changes. Um, the levy is, as we know, um, perhaps we should talk a bit about where the levy sits in the whole system, mm. but the levy is part of the funding mechanism. Um, the, the, when, when Tracy Crouch made her decision as to... Uh, uh, the ex extension of the levy and the rate of the levy uh, and the fact that it would remain gross, gross win. Uh, her view was, when she communicated the decision to me wearing then a different hat, was that what she wanted to do was to provide an underpin which would pay for regulatory integrity, welfare, uh, and, and would provide, as it were, the beginnings of prize money and enable the uh, racecourses, owners and bookmakers to then have the commercial arrangements on top of that. So she was very clear that it was meant to be an underpin. Uh, of course, the commercial relationships on top are exactly that, they're commercial, and they're also very complicated. Uh, and trying to identify what it is, how that all fits together, mm. is not in any sense straightforward. And I don't blame racing for wanting to investigate that further, though I very much hope that the marvellous relationship that we've now and it's a very, very good relationship between racing and betting, isn't harmed by it. I don't think it is being yet, but I very much hope it isn't being. It won't be. So that's, would that worry you then, that a, a, a more front foot, dare I say, aggressive manoeuvre on the part of, say, senior horsemen to try and push forward the idea for reformation of the levy would cause antagonism between horse racing and the bookmaking industry well, that doesn't exist at the moment? point to be absolutely clear about is that the levy board is an independent organisation and it deals with the situation that it finds itself in. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it has a public body applying public law principles um, in the interests of racing and in the interests of the statutory purposes. Um, and um, w it's not for me to express a view about whether people should be doing X or Y in their campaigning. I, I do hope that the very, very collaborative approach is not affected. The way that the bookmakers have behaved in COVID has been remarkably helpful to the levy, both on interim payments, which they've made without um, complaint and debate, um, and on uh, participating in race planning and in detailed information that means that I know what the levy yield the previous week is by Thursday, the, the Thursday of the following week. All of that's been incredibly helpful. I don't know whether or not... The, 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 the antagonism may creep in. I very much hope it won't. Mm. One of the reasons that we, everyone was so keen to get rid of the annual levy did, um, um, setting and determination that there couldn't be agreement was to avoid that sort of antagonism. I'm sure we're nowhere near that yet, but I hope everyone does remember that avoiding that was key to the recent reforms. So absolutely key in the first tranche of reforms was that... Uh, levy would be taken at the point of consumption, which meant that the bookmakers disappearing offshore would still be um, obliged to pay levy to the levy board. You were still obliged to collect that if the bet had been struck on a, on a race in this country. Yep. Now, the next suggestion is that um, we will massively increase our coffers by 
uh, obliging bookmakers to pay levy on bets taken on races that take place overseas. Is that true? And if it is true, by, 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 what, by what sort of amount? What kind of figures are we talking about? Okay. Um, as you know, and inherent in your question, Nick, is the fact that the levy is paid on, on, on winning, on, on, on gross, bookmakers' gross win. So you can look at the numbers and, and see what difference, how much is currently bet on uh, overseas racing and what the gross win is. Um, the sorts of numbers, and they're rising, yeah. uh, and taking them on their own, it's 20-something million. Low, at the moment, low 20s. Um, but rising. And so let's just put that into a bit of context. So this year's levy yield was 97, 97. million? I think if we round it up, because I like to be optimistic, 98, but it's a, it, 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 it was 97 it's something. The technical term is some 97 million, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah so, so, so 97-ish million, uh, 20, obviously another 20 million on top of that. That is a, it's a big percentage of 97, but it's not a very big percentage, I would argue, of the of the whole cake, if you're talking about commercial agreements between uh, race courses and bookmakers? Well, um, it is certainly right that the levy, even at its highest, is only a comparatively small proportion of the funding mechanism of racing. Yeah. So, as you say, it follows from that that 20 million, whilst 20 million is 20 million. Of course, you can't be sure it would be 20 million because when levy is placed on foreign racing, how, how the market worked and all of that, you couldn't be sure of. Mm. But it, it's that sort of order of magnitude. Um, and um, as you say, uh, that, that is a, a decent proportion of the, of the levy, but it, it, when you add in media payments and, uh, and other uh, commercial revenues, it doesn't then become enormous. I'm not suggesting that doesn't make it important, and I understand why when racing, racing is so concerned uh, to uh, maximise it. Yeah, I suppose what I'm getting at is that this is being sort of held up or has been held up as something that is an absolute must. It's a sine qua non to capture this levy that is disappearing from, race, uh, from bets struck on foreign races. Actually, what I'm asking you as the chairman of the levy board is what real and what substantive difference is that going to make to racing's overall health? Well, the, the, the answer is assume that it's 20 million and assume that we decided to put it all into prize money. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, of, course is, is, um, that of yeah. course, is an assumption because there are increasing demands from other sources. But if you did, if, if yeah. the, you know, best case scenario for Horseman's Group. What it would do is it would um, move up by a third the amount of money that we contribute to prize money. But, but as you say, if you look at the total numbers, 20%, depending on which way, 20 million, depending on which way you slice the numbers, is, is going to be a comparatively small percentage. Understand that. And from racing's point of view, uh, um, I understand why they would be keen to do it. If you're asking me, do I think that overseas racing would be the panacea to all our problems? Answer, no. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.